Good morning. Is it too early to say Merry Christmas? <laughs> Merry Christmas. Hey, one way to get into the Christmas spirit, if you haven't seen this in your, in your bulletin, it's about the Koinonia kids. And we've still got a number to take care of before next Sunday. So as you exit, there'll be a table out there. Uh, Kathleen Punt is out there shivering, waiting for you. And uh, you can sign up, and it, it tells you some things that you can do. And I, I'll tell you, nothing helps catapult us into the Christmas spirit than doing something that will make Christmas special for a child. So I hope you'll give some thought to that. We're involved. We've been doing this for years. And it's really a powerful ministry to kids uh, who, had, uh, who have less than us. And that comes, comes to mind to me as I, as I think about Christmas. Um, when you prepare to talk about Christmas or Mother's Day or Father's Day, um, we become more, more conscious of the kind of upbringing we've had and the hardships that we've had, the, the people that we've lost. Those are things that invade us uh, during Christmas time and special family times. And uh, this is a way that we can encourage children who, uh, who don't have kind of the perfect family, if you will. I'm wearing a suit this morning. I'm not trying to outdress you. I'm kind of old school in that sense. Um, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper this morning. And I always, Shelley thinks I'm nuts in a way. She doesn't laugh at me, but um, it's, it's just a, a, an for me, a personal expression of, of reverence um, because this is the nicest suit I have. So, um, if you die, I'll wear this suit to your <laughs> funeral. <laughs> you know what Yogi Berra said, he said, it's, it's good to go to the funerals of others because if you don't go to their funeral, they won't come to yours. Uh, I don't know how I've descended into talking about funerals. It's been a hard week for me, not because of any... I really can't point to any particular trials, but, you know, sometimes everything can, can actually be blue skies and sunshine, and yet for some reason we're kind of out of sync with what's, what's going on. And it's internal. It's things that we're wrestling with inside. And if someone were even to say, what's going on? You seem kind of out of sorts. They might want to shake you out of it and help you to understand that you really don't have any grounds for feeling the way you do. Um, so I really don't have an explanation, a logical one, but it reminded me um, how in our personal lives, others could judge us to be quite fortunate um, 
privileged in many ways, and yet internally we can feel very, very weak, inferior, insecure. And for a pastor, you, you wrestle with that because you're very aware of the Lord's word to you. And you want to be that person. You want to trust him and overcome and rise above. And perhaps for that reason, it was doubly important, although at the time I decided to talk about Mary today and Joseph next Sunday, it was very meaningful for me to wrestle again and think again about Mary. Mary has become very important to me over the years. Can you imagine how many hours I've thought about Mary? You would never imagine that Christmas time could be one of the worst preaching times because you're visiting again things that people have heard as in some cases as many years as they have had been in adulthood. And uh, you come again to it and you're seeking to say something very meaningful because it's Christmas. <laughs> and Christmas brings such at least a desire to experience awe. Not awe as if somebody just held their puppy out to you, but awe as in wonder, majesty, that kind of heart-arresting, uh, you're almost mesmerized by something so great, so marvelous, so majestic. And certainly Jesus puts the wonder and the awe in Christmas. But Mary is very special to me, for I have thought about her many hours for many years now. She's a remarkable young lady, and I would like us to think about her together. C.S. Lewis said, I'm afraid I hate the weeks just before Christmas. So much of the fuss has nothing to do with the nativity at all. That's really where the awe begins. So let's look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 26. I hope you have your Bible with you. In the sixth month, well, of course, the sixth month, if we read from the beginning of Luke and the 25 verses leading up, the sixth month refers to the number of days that Elizabeth, Elizabeth has been pregnant. Elizabeth is the close relative of Mary. Elizabeth is very old. We don't know how old, 
maybe she's pretty young by our standards today. I mean, people are doing things in their 80s. I can remember in high school when the teacher talked to us. This is, did I say high school? High school? I meant grade school. And we talked about the uh, life expectancy in America, and it was uh, 72 years for a man. And now people in their 80s, I mean, Who was the guy who landed on the moon and where was he? He was climbing some mountain in South America and he's in his mid-80s. So who knows, maybe Elizabeth wasn't that old, but they called her barren. Can you imagine? They called her barren because she, she'd never had the child that she was expected to have. So the front end of this story is that the angel Gabriel has come to Zechariah, her husband, who is a priest. Now they live in the hills of Judea. And of course in this priestly caste, Zechariah has a turn at serving in Jerusalem. But every once in a while, and they do this by lot, you know, it's, it's like, I mean, it's kind of like a roll of the dice. Zechariah has this lifetime opportunity to actually serve in the temple. It's a very special occasion. And he enters in to the secret precinct of the temple where he is attending to the censer He's alone in there. It's, it's like that one-in-a-lifetime chance. Many priests didn't even get this opportunity. And there he is, and there's a man in there, which just freaks him out. And he says, he introduces himself. He says, I'm Gabriel. He who stands in the presence of God. And here in the holiest place on earth, he speaks to Zechariah on this occasion. And he tells Zechariah that Elizabeth is going to have a baby. That, he, that baby's going to be a great, great figure, a great man of God. Talking about John the Baptist. And Zechariah can't believe it. So the angel Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, he's called, says, I'll give you a sign. You're not going to be able to talk until the baby's born. And the baby was conceived shortly thereafter, and now it's in the sixth month of her pregnancy. But she has gone into seclusion. So nobody knows that Elizabeth, barren, not barren like the son of Donald Trump, but barren as in unable to bear. She's in hiding and Mary doesn't even know. The angel Gabriel 
whom we just learned a little about, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Do you know that Nazareth was so insignificant, it's not mentioned in the Old Testament. You won't find anything in the Old Testament about Nazareth. And if you were to read the Talmud of the Jews, which is just wider than my arm span, the number of volumes, doesn't ever mention Nazareth. And then there was the historian Josephus, who was a commanding general when they were fighting the Romans, when the Romans were overthrowing the Jews for their rebellion. And Josephus was in charge of the whole Galilee area. He was a very respected military tactician. He was finally caught. And because he predicted something about the general who was Vespasian, that he, he would become the emperor of Rome, and he did. He became the emperor of Rome. And the house of Flavian ruled Rome. Not only Vespasian, but his son, Titus, and then his son, his other son, Domitian. And that's why Josephus was taken into his household. He became the patron of Josephus. That is, he provided for him, and Josephus wrote volumes of history that have given us a window onto the times of the New Testament. The Antiquities, 19 volumes. And then the Jewish War and other writings we still have. And not once is Nazareth mentioned. I, I, that brings me to awe and wonder. So when you, this little town, Nazareth, is mentioned here, do you realize that the experts... calculate that Nazareth was no more than 120 acres in size. I said 120. I'm sorry. It's half that. 60 acres. It's twice the size of our property up there. If you go out and look at that property, that's 30 acres. Nazareth was not very big. Some estimate the population was no more than 480 people. Have you ever been to Alpa? I'm, I'm serious. Have you, have you ever been to Alpa? A few of you. I have yet to visit Alpa. I met a man from Alpa. I said, where's Alpa? And he told me. And I still don't know where it is. <laughs> Do you know what the population of Alpa is? It's 1,026 as of the 2010 census. 1,026. Nazareth is considered to have been half, less than half the population of Alpa. Can you imagine he who is 
an arch, we call an archangel, called, the, called in the Bible the angel of the Lord. When he meets Zechariah, he says, I am he who stands in the presence of God. And he visits Nazareth. Just think seriously with me for just a moment. I could imagine the Pope or the President. I can, I, I can imagine the Pope or the President coming to Fresno, not Visalia, and never Alpa. <laughs> and even more never, my house or your house. It gives you some sense of the awe and the wonder that God in launching this master work that will change the course of human history and change our lives. This is, this is our ancestry we're reading. This is our story. Mary, in a way, and don't, don't go Catholic on me or any of that kind of stuff, but Mary, in a way, is our mother in faith. I identify with her. To a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Betrothed. Betrothal could last a year or more. But they actually were referred to as husband and wife, even though they lived separately. She remained in the home of her parents. And there was often quite an age gap, as we suspect there was, between Joseph and Mary. When it calls her a maiden or a virgin, and this, this blows my mind, do you realize that she could have been no more than 13, maybe at the most 17? Do you know any 13 to 17-year-olds? I don't know that we can use them as a standard by which to view a 13 to 17-year-old in that time and place. But she's a young, young lady. And Joseph, her betrothal, is of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. Greetings. <laughs> hey, hello, good morning. O favored one. And it says she's greatly troubled. And this word, do you remember in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, it's a favorite passage, so you might know it well. Jesus has just told his disciples that their journey to Jerusalem is going to end in his death and rejection. And the disciples, I mean, they're very unsettled. They're very troubled. 
This is turning their world upside down. They're having a worse week than I had this week. And Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. That's the very same word that is used here to describe Mary. She is greatly unsettled by this greeting. Now, you might say, oh, well, surely. I mean, if an angel showed up, you know, one minute, I'm picking up around the house, doing my morning chores. It's a normal, ordinary day. And all of a sudden, <laughs> the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, he who stands in the presence of the, of the Lord, appears. And what must that have been like? I mean, can you imagine? It must have been brilliant. His wings, his halo his purple and gold attire, but that's not the way the Bible presents him. In fact, in the book of Daniel, it says he had the appearance of a man. Do you remember when the Lord and two others they were called sojourners or travelers in Genesis 18, they came up to the tent of Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham wrestled around to show them hospi hospitality because that was the appropriate and customary thing. But they're just travelers. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, it says, We are to show hospitality to strangers because a number have entertained angels unaware. In fact, the word for Gabriel's arrival could just be translated, he entered, and then his departure in verse 38, and he went away. Maybe he knocked on the door. Yes, may I help you? Yes, I, I've come to talk to you. Can we sit down together? Mary, you are favored. God's grace is upon you. That's what the expression favored means. And in that sense, it's true of each and every one of us. We're all favored like that. I reminded myself of that this week. And then he says, and then it says, she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, I want you to see this. I want you to recognize this. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. Yeshua. It's the same word uh, that we find in the Old Testament when we read 
the fifth book, when the people, after Moses died, followed his faithful right-hand man. Do you know his name? Joshua. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of the kingdom there will be no end. How will this be? Since I am a virgin. Mary said to the angel, by the way, do you know angel just means messenger? Most times in ancient writings that are written in Greek, the word angel, because we get the word angel right from the word. The word is, if I kind of uh, Americanize it a little bit, angelos in Greek. We'd probably say angelos. That means angel. But it means more than that, a messenger. Somebody who carries a message. And that's exactly what Gabriel does. I'm not trying to humanize him. I'm just trying to say there's something really amazing here about the way God works. He goes to this little place, this little place smaller than Alpa. It's not on the map. To this young girl, this child, He sends the messenger who stands in his presence. So this is a big deal. He's called the angel of the Lord, but he travels in a way that doesn't necessarily set off fireworks and bring balloons and confetti from the ceiling. But it is a profound message and Mary's wrestling with this. You found favor with God. Me? Who am I? And then the contents of the message, and she says, how's this going to work? I know no man. And this is what the angel says. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. This in the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Yes. Behold. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be unto me according to your word. And the angel went away from her. I went back to Martin Luther. Do you know who Martin Luther is? Not Martin Luther King, 
who was named after Martin Luther. Uh, Martin Luther would be the man after whom we know Lutheranism, or Lutherans. And in the 15th century, Martin Luther really began on All Saints Day, what we call Halloween, <laughs> he nailed his 95 theses on the door of the Church of Wittenberg, declaring that he was protesting some of the teachings of the church, the church at large. And that began what we call the Protestant movement. That Luther did a lot of preaching. And I visited a message that he did on this very passage. And I wanted to share with you what he said about what we've just read. He said there are three wonders here. One, that God should become human or become man. Another, that a virgin should bear a child. And the third, that Mary believed. And I thought this week, as I was wrestling with some particularities uh, of my own Christian walk, my walk with Jesus Christ, how to believe. And I felt a great kinship with Mary. And I want you to feel a kinship too. In one sense, I guess we're led to think, why wouldn't she believe? But then I wanted to just share some things in, that I've already touched on in a, in a manner of speaking, but I want to bring them into perspective very quickly. She was so young. But I just now want to cause you to think, what is your condition? Is it that you're too young? Or perhaps you're too old? Is it because perhaps you don't have enough schooling or because you have too much schooling? I don't have to push this very far for you and, and me to realize that there is no condition. Mary is sig significant of the fact that it's, it's not youth, it's not age, it's not learning, it's not money, it's not poverty, it's, it's not your past. It's not where you've been. We can approach this Christmas as though we don't have a past. That we don't have either a wonderful Christmas heritage with a complete family that never fell apart, that hasn't experienced a death, who still have their grandma and grandpa on both sides of the family, and everybody lives in perfect harmony, or the other side of the coin, where we have memories associated with Christmas because of brokenness and divorce and loss through death or something else. Or maybe we're struggling in our own ways. The point is, there's nothing to prevent us from hearing the enunciation of God. 
through Mary in our own life because it is extended outward to us in a very real way. I'm not allegorizing when I say that. She's representative of, of, of us, responding to the message, to the Word of God. It's not her imagination going wild. It's hearing what God is saying into our hearts, into our lives. And of course, now we have so much more, not just the heritage of the prophets preceding her, but now we have the heritage of the prophets. We have Mary. We have the Gospels, New Testament. We have so much more in which to understand God's Word to our lives. And yet, we don't have to know all those faraway things. It always comes down to the little and simplest things. God, do you care for me? Can I trust you? so much that I can follow you in the midst of threatening or difficult or discouraging or defeating circumstances? Can I speak joy into this moment, into this circumstance? Can I set aside the feelings that I'm battling with and move forward in hope and expectation? Can I act constructively instead of destructively, because your word to me is a word of truth that brings hope and light to my life. And it is grounded in the reality of that same word which was spoken to Mary in the birth of Jesus Christ. She was so lowly. She was so insignificant. She was so troubled. She was so unprepared. How in any of those things which describe her situation and the mixture of what was going in in the span of time that she was speaking, if she had not in faith said yes, Would she not have kind of just rationalized the whole experience away and awakened the next morning and thought that was one crazy dream? I didn't give you the rest of Luther's quote. And this is the greatest of the three. And this is the greatest of the three. That's a beautiful thought that spoke to me so powerfully. How full of wonder, how awe-inspiring is the idea that God should become human. When you say the word Emmanuel, that's kind of how we pronounce it. It, it, Here's what the Hebrew sounds like. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Emmanuel with us. Im-man-nu. 
with us, El, God, Emmanuel, God with us. Not just then, but here's the second thing, that a virgin should bear a child, the Messiah. And how is that? That's, when, when I read that, those words, the Spirit came upon her. What does that make you think of? That made me realize the Spirit has come upon me. The Spirit has come upon you in Jesus Christ. The Spirit was poured out upon his people. John talks about that in verses 11, 12, and 13 of the first chapter of his gospel. We have that same spirit. But then, that Mary should believe, and of the three, that is the greatest. You wouldn't think of your believing and trusting in God as having an awe-inspiring, miraculous nature. But in a way it is because it is the catalyst of moving with what God wants to do through you. And as Mary then went to be with Elizabeth, all starts, sorts of things started to confirm and echo and affirm what God had told her through, through the, the archangel Gabriel and to say, yes, yes, yes. But she would never have heard it, never have known it if she hadn't said yes. Will you say yes to the Lord this morning? Of course you will. But think about the ordinary circumstances of your life in which you can say yes and move with God in powerful ways. Especially that remind us the essence of what God is wanting to do in our lives that is so Christmas-like in Christ. And that's in a way of the same cloth of what we celebrate when we take the bread and the cup. For in this bread and in this cup, we are saying yes to the Lord. We are speaking words of faith in a very tangible way when we take this bread and this cup, which represents his life for ours. That the past, it echoes that the past or any shortcomings or deficiencies or insecurities or anything else should, should matter in our lives or be a stumbling block to what he wants to do except our trust and faith in him. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, in this, we been preparing ourselves for taking this bread and drinking this cup which represents our profession of faith in your life sacrificed for ours and your blood shed to establish a new covenant and we we praise you for it and we praise you for new beginnings with each breath and each expression of trust in which we enter into service like married, a sacred service in living for you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.